I'm going to little journey through history, but um, I'm, uh, first of all, just really honored to be here on your fourth anniversary. My gosh, I can't believe it, huh? Four years at Lydia House. Wow, let's give it up to the Lord. Woo! Um, I, I'm just delighted to be here with you to experience the uh, fresh, cool air. I live in Florida. And uh, it's just really fun for my wife and I to come up and, and really, I'm serious, and, and to feel what it's like to be awake again. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's seriously, it just there's a refreshment to the, uh, to the temperature. Hey, what week is it? I know it's a uh, fourth anniversary and all that for Liddy House, but what's happening this week? Absolutely. That's right. And I know for some of us, it's the whole week long. In fact, we're going to have some Thanksgiving after this upstairs. All right. Um, I am, I'm just delighted to, to be here with you and to pause together to think about Thanksgiving together. Um, I know on Thursday we're all going to gather from across the country and we'll be, uh, you know, cozing up around the table and we'll be eating all the amazing food that everyone brings. Everyone does their part, right? There'll be uh, probably a f maybe a fire on and maybe some football later. They'll just be family gathering together, giving thanks. There's something really powerful about that occasion. But I want to take you back today, if you'll agree to come with me, to the very first Thanksgiving. That's right. I want to take you all the way back beyond Plymouth Rock. <laughs> Beyond the pilgrims, a lot of times you think, oh, well, come on, that's what we learned in school. And it's true. That was our heritage in this country, giving thanks there um, for God's goodness when the pilgrims landed here in this new land, this new world. And we've kept the tradition, at least since Abraham Lincoln made it a national holiday, although I think he should have made it in October, don't you? Would have been a little bit more conveniently located halfway between Labor Day and, and Christmas. But that's just my opinion. But, but you know what? What I've discovered in my years of study and ministry is that the very th first Thanksgiving actually was about 2,000 years ago where they celebrated something that became normative for the new communities that started to spring up just like Lydia House all across the globe. And it was called in Greek, Eucharisteo, or Eucharistain, or perhaps some of you here in that word, what is still spoken in a lot of our communities across the globe, the Eucharist. It means literally to give thanks. So if I had a title for today's address, it would be The Great Thanksgiving. And in fact, in many of the liturgies across the globe, uh, especially in the Eastern churches, they still call it that, the Great Thanksgiving. It is the moment in the liturgy when everyone with one voice comes together and says, we give you thanks for what you did. It's an amazing moment. So if you have your Bibles with you, you might want to turn with me. I'm going to get a stand for this. Luke 22. No, 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 I mean, uh, with the microphone. No, 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 I, I just need to get a mic. Oh, so that I can hold the Bible. Very good. All right, cool. All right, I want to make sure you can hear me. Can you hear me all right? Yeah. All right, awesome. 
Um, Luke 22, if you will uh, open up. It's the gospel right after my namesake. <laughs> and we know this account well, I'm sure. But look at it with me again. If you're, we're going to look at three passages here today. Uh, we're we're going to skim the first part of this, but I want to go deep with you. If, you will, if you'll just hang with me for probably the next 30 minutes. I'm, I'm used to lecturing for about 90 minutes, but I won't make you go that long. I won't. But that's what I make my students do at Lynn University where I'm on the faculty. Um, but we have about a half hour, okay? So just really hang tight with me. Because there's some important, I think, words that our Lord would want to get through to us this week, especially when we think about Thanksgiving. Awesome. Thank you, Paul. So it was the very last week of Jesus' life. He had ridden triumphantly into Jerusalem, and he had been to the temple, and he had uh, been challenging the religious leaders, and it was coming close. He was there because he knew his time had come, and it was at the time of the Passover, as you know, when is the time when, when all the faithful would gather together, which was his tradition as a Jewish rabbi. Jesus, Yeshua, was one who observed all these important feast days, and he was coming to Jerusalem to fulfill his holy obligation of celebrating the Seder, the Passover, the commemoration of being called out of bondage into freedom from Egypt into the new promised land. So he says to his disciples in Luke 22, he says, the time of unleavened bread, that is the Passover, when the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, had come. And he said, come, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Do you see my granddaughter here by my feet? Uh, you can't get any better than this. Let me just tell you something. This is Thanksgiving. I, uh, sh Nalu lives out in San Diego, and we're in Florida. And so this has been just a tremendous opportunity to reconnect with family, with our daughter and granddaughter. And when I opened up this Bible this morning, um, I, 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 you know, I thought I better bring one of these because, you know, that's what we do here, right? <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Okay, so I brought this Bible, but I opened it up, and we're staying at Erica's, and uh, I guess we're in Karis's room. Karis, where are you? Karis, I stole your Bible. I hope you don't mind. But I, I opened up the, okay, cool, I'm sure you got many of them. In fact, my parents said that uh, there were so many Bibles around our house growing up with my name in it. <laughs> I'm not sure what that meant, except maybe I wanted to make sure my name was written in the Book of Life. <laughs> Seriously, if you go back, you'll see my name in most of our family Bibles. Um, I wanted to make sure God remembered who I was. <laughs> um, so I opened up this, this Bible, and in the front page, it says, Chorus, G&G, &G, Christmas Day. And then I remembered, yeah, that's right. This was the Faith in Action Bible that Grandpa, great-grandpa Ludio got written up in. Mm -hmm. The story of reconciliation. As uh, you heard Paul talk about him being in World War II, Battle of Iwo Jima, with bayonet in hand almost lost his life. He went back to that country with Bible in hand and reconciled with his Japanese brothers. That's the power, folks, of our Christian 
message. And where does it start? It starts with Jesus, who is our sacrificial lamb, who brings about our reconciliation with the Father. Now, just listen to this. It was the Last Supper. And he says that the disciples say to him, where do you want us to prepare for it? And, they, and he says, well, go and do these things. And you all know the story very well. So they get it all ready there in the upper room. And by the way, this summer I was up there with my 12 students. Yeah, it was like 12 disciples, right, from Lynn University. I took them to Israel. Uh, Shirley and I were able to be with them for about a month studying there uh, at the University of Haifa, where I taught a course on uh, the cradle of faith. So we were there in the upper room, where they think the upper room was at least, and there we were, and all of a sudden we started hearing Egyptian being sung, you know, and we heard Ethiopic being sung, and we heard uh, English being sung, and, and all these different languages, and we realized as we looked at around the room that, my goodness, we are one in the Lord, in the very place where the first Thanksgiving was celebrated. That's right. So Jesus is reclining at table, and um, I'm, at, um, I'm at verse uh, 17, okay? Well, actually 14. The hour came, and Jesus and his disciples are reclining at table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now, he likely had had other Passovers with them, mind you. But he knows this is his last one. And this is the one where he's going to, as I like to tell my students, lay the bombshell on them, do something totally different, something they had never heard before, something that changed the world. It turned their lives upside down. Because he takes the cup. Now, the first cup, there's four cups in, in the Jewish Passover. And, and, you know, he takes the cup and he says, divide this, divide this among you. And then he takes the bread, the matzah probably, the unleavened bread. Remember, there's no time for it to rise, so it's unleavened because they're hurrying on their way out of slavery into the, you know, promised land of, 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 of their new joy and, 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 and life in, in uh, Canaan. So anyway, he takes the bread then and he says, um, uh, uh, on 19, he took the bread and he, what does he do? Read that out loud. On verse 19, he took the bread and gave thanks. That's right. Okay. Now, the Jewish prayers there, in all likelihood, having been prayed from that day on to this day as well, which is blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, where you bring forth bread from the earth, human hands have made. And it becomes for us our bread of life as the liturgy of the church continues to pray it. This bread that was first celebrated as Seder that takes on a completely new paradigm, or meaning, a form, a way of entering into a new covenant, a relationship that is eternal with the Lamb. So he takes this bread and he gives thanks and then breaks it and gives it to his disciples, we read, okay? And then he says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, doing something in remembrance for those disciples and for the you know, uh, Jewish community was very commonplace in the 
context of the Seder because you remember something, you call it to mind in order for it to become a present reality to you. It isn't just like, a, oh, remember when we did whatever it was. This is a way for that past event to become a present reality. So you remember the you know, uh, uh, freedom that you've been granted and given you know, through uh, Moses and God's promise to the children of Israel so that that reality of the past will become present to them in that moment. Now, are you, are you with me with this? Think about the profound connection then if the expectation that this event will continue to be present to us every time we do it. This is what he says. Every time you do this, do so in Remembering of me. It's, 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 it's this recalling. It's for it to become a present reality to us. Uh, uh, maybe perhaps even beyond, uh, you know, rational ways of explaining. It just is. It's his promise. And it's an amazing promise he gives us. And, and, and the amazing thing about this is that the disciples at that moment probably have no clue what's going on, but they start to figure it out post, you know, um, you know the triduum, the, uh, the, the, after the death and then his resurrection and then after into his ascension, they're going, wait a minute, he said to do this, let's keep doing it. And so they do, you read in Acts and they're doing it daily. They continue to break bread. Look at Acts 2. Okay, we don't, we're not going to go there right now, but Acts 2 talks about the disciples continue to devote themselves in prayer and to the breaking of bread. Why? Because he says, when you do so, I am present. I am here. I am with you. Now, you don't need a fancy word like sacrament or uh, any kind of theological jargon to understand this. You just have to take it at face value that Jesus is saying, this is the new covenant. This is the way I will be present to you. This is your sign of redemption. And just in case you really didn't get it, he does this with the cup. And scholars say this is probably the third cup, the cup of redemption, because it's after the meal. In the Seder, this is the Jewish Passover meal, right? You have the meal after these first two cups, and then the third cup comes, which is the cup of redemption. And what does Jesus do with this cup? He takes it after, it says here, after supper. This is verse 20. Look at this. In the same way, it was after they were done eating, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. You've heard those words so many times, it just goes in one ear and out the other, right? At least I grew up hearing them, you know, growing up in a pastor's family and then going on myself in a ministry. You say them so blithely. But wow, think about this. This very cup of redemption that is being remembered at the Seder, Jesus says, is in fact my blood. Now, how did, the, how did the Jewish people receive their inheritance, their, their, their new life? How did the angel of death pass over them when they were uh, in their houses in Egypt? It was by taking the blood of a lamb, remember, and smearing it across the doorpost, the lentil. Yeah. And, and when he says this, you absolutely would call to mind as a Jewish you know, um, follower that it's Jesus' blood. That will be our new sign of life. In fact, he says, this is, this blood of mine is the new covenant. This is the new sign by which you will uh, uh, live and you will have your, 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 your seal of faith. So return to it often. Claim it. It's yours. It is the sign under which you will live 
And of course, as we know, Jesus goes on and does precisely that, just like the sacrificial lamb. He is slaughtered. <coughs> He's taken to the cross. And for our sins, he is a ransom for many. By his blood, we are set free. Now, the, the disciples began to understand the profundity of this act, realizing that it is through this, if you will, fourfold paradigm of being taken and given thanks over and then broken and then given that somehow they came to understand their life, as I said, paradigmatically, as mirroring that. So too we, as new creations, are taken by our Lord, given thanks over and blessed, and then broken. And sometimes that's a painful thing. <laughs> but it's always a joyful thing, for in our being willing to divest ourselves of our egos and our possessions, and sharing all things in common, including our cares and maybe material needs, just like you do here so beautifully at Lydia House. You, be you become a new sign, a new community for the world. <coughs> Excuse me. Yeah. So, do you have a, a cough drop? Thank you. Um, no, no, uh, well, cough drop will do. So, so, okay, now here's the thing. I want to go a little deeper. I, I, I could have left it at that. We could have probably talked about uh, all four of those acts in, 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 a, in, a, in an even further, deeper way. But what I want to tell you now is what comes later. Uh, I've got one, Shirley, thanks. Um, Paul, who says he's untimely born, he wasn't there at the Last Supper, but he says he received what was handed down to me I now give to you to the church in Corinth. I want you to turn with me to Corinthians chapter 10. The reason I want you to do this is because I want you to just see how seriously this great thanksgiving was taken by the church and has persisted for 2,000 years because they understood something was happening in this this act, this, this gift. Now, Corinth is maybe not unlike any modern city abuzz and awash with chaos. It was a, a, a city of commerce. Uh, you know, you had the port that was dug out and it would come right up to that amazing, very cosmopolitan place. Uh, I've, I've, I've been blessed to be there. I bet, Becca, have you been to Corinth in Greece? Yes. Yep, and, 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 okay, wonderful. Well, you know, if you've been there, you, you, you know how this place was a, an important, thriving port city, and you had a lot of influence from both um, the Greeks, the Romans, the Jews. You had a lot of different religious sentiments involved, and you had a lot of different class distinction as well. Those who were affluent, those who were less so. But you had a new fledgling community being birthed there that Paul just like a little daddy would feel about a little you know, new child kind of trying to really nurture along. And he chides them in this letter. Did you know a lot of the letters were written before the Gospels were written? So you should take these very seriously in terms of chronology and dating, even though, of course, the Gospels go back to the life of Christ. This is some of the earliest writings we have of the New Covenant, of the New Testament. Thessalonians was the first, but, you know, 1 Corinthians is right up there very quickly after. And he writes to them in, look at the 10th chapter, if you will. Um, he insinuates and implies some very deep um, understanding 
surrounding the Eucharist, this great Thanksgiving, this thing that we do. If you look uh, uh, in um, chapter 10, verse 14, so he, he's, he's talking about the idols, of course, and there's the whole uh, cult of Apollo there. There's a temple up above on the, on the hillside, and, and there was meat being offered to it, and of course the whole business of whether it was okay to eat this or not since it was sacrificed to you know, a pagan god, that comes up. But it's in this context that he says this, which should make you stop frozen in your tracks and say, oh my goodness, there is an implicit understanding of this great thanksgiving, this act of breaking bread together in the name of Christ and sharing his presence that is, as I said, implied in this and has been carried forth for two millennia. So he says, I speak to you, I speak to sensible people here, you judge for yourselves about what I say, is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. So he calls it a thanksgiving. First of all, you should know this cup of thanksgiving, you know, which we, as I said, so blithely, we'll, we'll, we'll come to com communion and we'll say, oh yeah, well that's, yeah, whatever. Um, this cup of thanksgiving, he says, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ. The Latin is participatio, but what, what is implied here, what the understanding that if you want to get down into the substrata, the deep le level of meaning, is that you have made a connection that is unseverable. You are aligning yourself with something in this kind of profound, deep level that is it's not trite. It's not something to take lightly. You are, if you will, almost signing your name on a contract. It's this new covenant. It's a sacred, holy contract between you and God saying that this blood is the sign under which I live my life as a, as a, as a, as a freed man, woman, new creation in Christ. And he says, is this not a participation, this couple Thanksgiving? Okay, so hang on to that word participation. And then he goes on. Is not the bread that we break a participation in, what does he say? The body of Christ. So he says it twice here, just in case we missed it. The cup and the bread is a participation with Christ. Okay. Now, we kind of know that. I mean, it sounds theological, churchy, jargon. It's like, okay, cool, but whatever. But just in case you need to kind of get shaken up a little bit and sit up and take note, you ought to take note what he says here about the flip side, about the reverse, about the other possibilities. He says, well, okay, before I get there, he says, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one loaf. I'm going to get back to that at the very end, but hang on to that just for a moment, you know, kind of a, a parenthetically set it aside for a moment about how this produces unity. But let's just for a moment pause and, and, and take a look at what he says about participation in other tables. So consider the people of Israel. Do not those who eat the sacrifices participate in the altar? Did I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God. 
And I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Are you trying to arouse, arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are you stronger than he? Whoa. That's pretty heavy stuff there. Take a look at your life. Whose table are you eating at? You know, um, oh my goodness, what was that video that was out a few, few, few years ago? It was um, uh, Spoken Word. What's the guy's name? And he did like a rap video, but he's a Christian. And he, was that it? And, he, and he's, he's, he talks in there about how we play church so easily. Like we, we go out on Saturday nights and get wasted and faded, and then we show up in church on Sunday morning as if we belong because, you know, we're wearing the right clothes or whatever, as if, as if to say, you know, you're part of the Lakers because you wear a jersey of theirs. I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> you choose the table at which you feed wisely because you ally yourselves with them. You become one with them. You become a part of whatever it is that you're, you know, partaking. Well, just as they say, you are what you eat, but I mean, it goes even beyond that. Yes, there's that profound connection between what we ingest and what we become, and we can all, you know, uh, kind of uh, relate to those moments when, hey, we're not eating very healthily, or we're not taking care of ourselves, and we can show that. Our, our, our very bodies, if not our souls and state of minds reflect that, but, but this goes even deeper. It's saying that you have become one with that table of the dark side if that's where you're going. The implication here, folks, is that this is, this is nothing to play with, and yet we play with it all the time, thinking, oh, well, what's the big deal? Come on, Mark. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're doing just fine. I'm living my life out there, but no. What you choose to partake of is the very thing you become one with. That's what Paul is saying here. Are you stronger than the Lord, he says? Are you going to provoke him? Are you going to go, you know, carousing with the dark side and then show up on Sunday morning and say, hallelujah, wow, look at me. Everything's cool, Lord. Mm -mm. The participation is real. And if you dare to approach the altar, as you will today, there is so much at stake your very soul. I don't mean to put the fear of God in you. All I'm saying is these are the stakes that the church understood 2,000 years ago. So when he goes on chapter 11, and if you look at that with me, okay, this is the last section I want you to look at. How are we doing on time? Are we, are we all right? Okay, cool. Try to wrap it up in about five, 10 minutes, okay. But if you, if you look at chapter 11, he talks about, there's a lot, lot in there at the beginning about propriety and worship and all that, but you get to the Lord's Supper, okay? So you're, you're down in, chapter, in verse 17, and he gives uh, directives there as well about how we are to approach the Lord's table. Because there was a lot of chaos there in, 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 in Corinth. You know, you had, you had people showing up drunk. You had people showing up already having, like, like gluttons eating their filth. And then saying, oh, well, who are you? I'm sorry, you live on the wrong side of the tracks. I'm not going to take care of you. And they had completely fallen apart in terms of their sense of, of, of community, of, of, of unity. 
So if we'll take a look at that just really quickly in 17, in the following directives, I have no praise for you. You know, he's a little spank, spank, spank. Um, for your meetings do more harm than good, he says. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions. You know, a church is just a Greek word for ecclesia. It just means to be called out, to be called together. And you have many, many different gatherings of being called together, right? Like Lydia House, four years of being called out. And that in a good way, you know, God does actually literally call you out. He says, hey, you. Yeah, you. I mean you. Come here. Time to go to church. Okay. So um, he says, uh, God's approval. Uh, uh, he, he, he says, among you, I have, let's see, where am I? Distracted. That's all right. That's all good. Um, no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. And when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. And one remains hungry and another gets drunk. And don't you have homes to eat in and drink in? If you're going to, you know, have your, your, your private meals, go do it in your own homes. But or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing to eat? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. You're better than this. The church is always called to unity. Okay? For what I received from the Lord, what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And now remember, Paul wasn't there, but he received this from the Lord, and now he's passing it on to the church, just like good church order would dictate so that they can carry on the tradition. Now you should already, this is, this is right here, you have already a paradigm in place for honoring the tradition of the church. Paul was not present with Jesus. And for all of us who want to say, well, I want to get back to the early church. <laughs> I want to get back to how it was with Jesus. I guess that would cut Paul out of the deal now, wouldn't it? Think about that. We trust the scriptures. Paul's letters are inspired, but it's tradition that was passed on, inspired by the Holy Spirit. See, it's, it's just too quick and too easy to say, oh, I, I want to be like it was with Jesus and the disciples. Well, then I'm sorry, but you have to cut Paul out of the deal. <laughs> he wasn't there, which we're not going to do, right? Obviously. So just think twice about your paradigm of, understanding what is inspired. The Holy Spirit continues to speak to the church. In fact, the word of God is living, even unbounded. The word is coming here to Lydia House through people like you. Unscripted sometimes, unbounded, and it's being received, and the seeds are going deep because you're willing to listen. Mm-hmm. So he says, this is the way it was. It came down to me, and we know that, that Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. I'm on verse uh, 24 now. And then when he had given thanks, remember, Eucharistine, first great Thanksgiving, he broke it and then said, take this. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, so that I can be present again to you in your doing of it, so that in your recalling of it, I will be once more with you. And then in the same way after supper, he took the cup. Remember, after supper, so it's probably the third cup, the cup of redemption, the cup of the new covenant, the cup of the blood of the lamb, his own blood. That's right. So this cup is the new covenant in my blood, Jesus says. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, 
you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. I remember this used to like scare the heebie-jeebies out of me. It's like, oh my gosh, wow. How do I dare approach the altar? You know, when am I ever going to be worthy? How can I be worthy? In fact, just we're not ever, ever worthy of receiving our Lord. But thanks be to God, this is where grace comes in. Because Jesus says, I will make you worthy. But this is still a warning. We're not done yet. I'm not letting you off the hook. Okay? Because Paul doesn't. Let's get through this. He says, he says, um, a man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's the point I want to make here, is that so often we go through these motions without recognizing, without having our blinders come falling off of us. You know, another translation is to discern the body. But it's, it's really the, 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 the same sense of, do you know whose presence you're in? Do you see Jesus, my Lord? You know, do we believe, as all those who've come before us do, that Jesus is here present to us in this wonderful sign of the new covenant, the sacrament of the table of the Lord? Do we discern it? Do we recognize it? Have your blinders come off or not? Um, I was thinking about this in the context of you know, our American customs of, of Thanksgiving. And, and, and I was thinking... To, ourself, to, to myself as, 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 as I was preparing for this morning, I was thinking, okay, so all of us are going home or we're going wherever we are going to go for Thanksgiving, right? I, I'm, I'm sure everyone in this room will be somewhere on Thursday, come noon or whenever. And there's probably going to be a great big bird on the table, correct? And there'll be, probably be all the trimmings and, and all the stuff that goes with that. What if... And you just use your imagination, of course, and all the families together and everyone's there and people you don't even really want there, but they're there because that's, that's what it means to be family. So, so there you are at that table. What if you didn't recognize what this was about? Imagine that. Imagine showing up and not realizing what it really is all about. Like Thanksgiving, what's that? <laughs> and probably your neighbor would go, wow, are you serious? Are you kidding me? Right? What if you actually came to the table and you went through the whole day and you never figured it out what this was really all about? Well, you know, on that kind of cultural and social level, we, we know the, 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 the amazing, uh, shall we say, you know, possibilities that exist when everything goes according to plan and it doesn't usually go to according to plan, but if it all works out, you kind of end the day and you go, wow, this was really cool. You realize you're part of something bigger than you, part of a family, however you understand that. And it might be extended family. It might be family <clears throat> just here at Communitas or at Lydia House or at your church or wherever you go. It might be with your in-laws, your, your, um, your, your immediate family. It might be just two or three of you gathered. But the profound you know, effect of having gathered like that, brief as it is, is that you take that for the rest of the year and you go, oh yeah, cool, we did it. I had the turkey, the requisite turkey, <laughs> right? I mean, would it be Thanksgiving without turkey? I don't know, I don't know. Probably some of us would go, eh, it didn't really quite do it for us. 
or with whatever your tradition is. You just kind of, you just know you're going to go to, you know, grandma, whatever house or Aunt Mabel's and you're going to get this wonderful thing that you understand as part of that, uh, you know, yearly tradition of yours. Well, here's the deal. This is the same for the community, this new covenant community, this gathering that we have, not just on one Thanksgiving out of the year, but our weekly great Thanksgiving. We become, we literally become the body of Christ for the world. That's right. There's a great, great um, uh, Eastern Orthodox um, uh, theologian that I loved, Alexander Shmeman. He's gone on to be with the Lord, but he wrote a book called For the Life of the World. And he said every time we gather together, wherever it is, whether it's Lydia House or whether it's, you know, some wonderful cathedral uh, somewhere else across, you know, the topography, it doesn't matter. But wherever we gather, we gather for the life of the world. Think about that. It's not for you. It's for the life of the world. Because we become what we eat. Augustine said it. You know, remember St. Augustine? Early church father who got it right about grace, who, by the way, went on to influence uh, the whole Augustinian order, which Martin Luther was a part of, and went on to really uh, make a difference in the world. Augustine said, when you come to the table of the Lord, recognize whose presence you're in, but then become who you receive. You are being given the opportunity to be transformed today into Christ into his likeness, not because you're worthy, but because you know what it means to participate in the altar of the Lord. You are in his presence, and as you receive him, it changes you. That's a profound thing. This thing that we do called church, the fact that we have over two billion of us across the globe, that this religion that shouldn't have worked by all counts and purposes, you had just 12 ragtag illiterate fisher folk from northern Israel who absolutely had no real charisma to them, and they all fled, you know, in the moment of crisis. I mean, these folks were like not your, you know, good to great types, not the CEOs, not the hoo-ha, we're going to like take the world by storm. No, 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 no. These people, only by God's grace, who live faithfully, continuing to break bread because Christ would be present to them and would transform them, became them, the life changers of the rest of the world, for the life of the world. You see what I'm saying? And you too are called to that today in this great thanksgiving that we have. You become, you become Christ for the world. So yes, Thursday you're going to be at your tables with your turkey or upstairs later we're going to be having fun together and every time this extended family comes together I'm always really mindful of the, the legacy that we've been given. You've all been given it, but you know where our real legacy is? It's in Christ. He gave us this incredible legacy to be rooted in him so that you might make a difference for the world. Okay, are you ready to do that? Can you say amen?